distro hopping, the idea that Linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. My name is Tony. I live in the northwest of England. And I am Dale. I live in northeast Ohio. Welcome to Distro Hoppers Digest. We love checking distros out, new distros, new versions of older distros, and even some we may have overlooked. We each have our preferences in complexity, or desktop, or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro, or better understand one which has piqued your curiosity. The idea of this podcast is that we will each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three or four weeks, and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials and tribulations, fixes, what we liked and what we didn't. Tony and I prefer to look at distros which would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS. While I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we will also divulge what hardware we are using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Distro Hoppers Digest, episode 27, recorded on November 3rd, 2021. In this episode, we're taking on Storm OS and Farron OS. We are happy to receive suggestions of distros you'd like us to try. Monthly foibles, wherein we discuss what we did this month. I have had a rough month with distros. I'll let Dale talk about his vacation, but it was great having him around for a few days, and we got a lot done. All my computers are working, and I'll have fresh heat paste. Most of this should go under beautiful failures, but they weren't quite. I had two distros I had hoped to review this month, Cutefish OS and Reborn OS. Both installed, both looked nice, neither of them worked. With Cutefish, it's supposedly still in beta, based on Debian 11. The desktop had limited options, but they all looked pretty good. However, adjusting your screen brightness and rebooting slash shutting off your computer was on a single widget, and with either one you had to wait one or two minutes for nothing to happen, then be prompted for your password, and then have the password box not accept input. The only thing to do is a hard reset. Reborn is Arch. I know you think I'm anti-Arch, but I'm not really. This installed easily with a very complete and easy-to-use installer. I was going to give a blow-by-blow of this in my review, but when I went to do updates or even use the internet, I was told there was no connection, even though it clearly showed a connection to my Wi-Fi. I found a notification which told me that it couldn't find the Ethernet connection. When I dismissed that, suddenly it would use my Wi-Fi for the purposes of my browser. But when I went to run updates, it got all the way to the progress bar of the first program to be installed and sat there. I waited a long time, rebooted, tried it again, same result. In both cases, the forum could not be reached, so I have not reported my issues to the devs. Both could be fine distros when they get their issues fixed. I posted my partial reviews of these two distros and one other on itsmos.com if anyone wants to read them. What's going on with you, Dale? During the first part of my week, I was preparing for my vacation the following week to visit Moss and his wife Suzanne. I searched and compared hotels using travel booking sites with help from Moss since he knew the area better than I did. A friend of mine asked me to take a look at his Seagate Fire Cuda 2TB drive on his desktop computer. He said it would randomly disappear from Windows 10 File Explorer. 
This was a hybrid drive that contained an SSD for caching and a spinning traditional hard drive inside as well. I booted this computer with a Debian 11 Cinnamon Live USB stick that I was using at the time. I tried to open GNOME Disk and run the uh, Smart Test and waited about five minutes and I canceled it and decided to run the command line version instead. The short test reported it was okay, then I proceeded to run the long test. It also reported the drive was okay. I went to Seagate's website and found that they had a drive utility called Ctools. I downloaded it and created a USB stick. I had to do that in Windows because their creation tool only worked in Windows, but I digress. I tried it and it wouldn't see the drive, and during another boot, it would see the drive and report it as okay. I told him to call Seagate because he told me it was a year old and to get an RMA to replace the drive. He wasn't happy because he had well over a terabyte of games installed on it from Steam. I left the following Sunday to drive the eight hours to Tennessee. I arrived at the hotel with no trouble, though I did need to stop and uh, stretch my legs a bit. It was my first long trip I had taken by car in several years. Although my car is nice and comfortable, the legroom doesn't compare to my employer's uh, semi-truck. My hotel was about 20 minutes from Moss's residence. The roads in the area were quite curvy and hilly in places, and they were fun to drive on. After I arrived home, my last bit of computer fun was installing my 512-gig Seagate Barracuda Q5 and VME. I chose Seagate due to discussions I had with people in the Mintcast Telegram group. It was determined that no one had ever tried Seagate solid-state drives. Since I currently use their spinning drives and have done so in the past, I decided to try one of their NVMe drives. I copied my current PopOS installation using GNOME Disks. Josh Hawk had mentioned to me that he had used the image creation feature to copy his SSD to his NVMe drive. Creating the image took about 45 minutes for 500 gigs and another 45 to restore the image. The image was saved in my 4 terabyte Toshiba 7200 RPM spinning drive, which is why it probably took that long. Once finished, I unplugged my SSD and booted the computer. Everything worked as if nothing had changed. I want to thank Josh for his awesome tip. In case you wanted to try this yourself, you have the option of imaging partitions or the entire drive. To create partitions, the option is in the same menu for the other GNOME disk functions, though to create a whole disk image, you must use the hamburger menu in the top right of the application. I have no idea why GNOME put it up there. I want to correct a mention I made in last episode. I had mentioned that Biku suggested Zero Linux as a distro review when it was actually Nissant. So, how about you, Tony? Well, this month's been fairly relaxed as I had a short holiday down in Birmingham. We did record the episode of Mintcast while I was away, and I had some issues with my USB sound card, and this resulted in my audio not being very good, all because I forgot to take a spare USB sound card with me. Uh, I've been having more and more issues with my main PC tower and I'm leaning towards getting uh, my first new PC for over 18 years. I have considered Entraware as the only Linux vendor here in the UK that I know about 
but the model of tower I would like is not currently in stock and I'm not sure when they'll be getting it back in. I keep checking on a daily basis, but it, a lot of their stuff is still out of stock. And that's probably because of uh, the supply issues we're getting. Uh, I know this is an international issue, so but uh, it's rather frustrating at the moment. Tony, isn't Juno in UK? Oh, it might be, actually. I've not thought of looking at Juno. I might have a look at their website as well. My work here is done. But I like the entryware system that I've been looking at, so I'd have to see if they've got anything comparable uh, because it's a tower system that I'm wanting. Anyway, this uh, also leaves me with the option to wait or go for another PC builder, so Juno could be an option. But if it's a non-Linux provider, then uh, obviously that could cause issues with you know, Linux compatibility and not being 100% certain that the hardware is compatible with Linux. So I uh, updated my uh, SUSE Tumbleweed and Endeavor laptops. They're still going strong. And uh, despite me often neglecting them for several weeks at a time, uh, they uh, they just seem to uh, update fine when I get round to it. I am trying to be mindful to try and do it at least once a week. I think both of these distros could easily become a daily driver if it weren't for Mint. But uh, at the moment, they're they're sitting uh, on my, you know, a couple of laptops that uh, I find useful from time to time to have uh, a rolling release on. So uh, that's fine. So shall we move on to updates? updates where we discuss what we've learned about distros we've already reviewed. I noticed while checking on Rudra Sarasvat's various Ubuntu-based distro updates that he is now a Linux Foundation certified developer and is also listed as an Ubuntu team member. Not bad for a sixth grader in New Delhi. There are even more astonishing things to learn about this fine young man. Have a look for yourself. He already has an Ubuntu wiki page and Ubuntu Unity has a Wikipedia page. I think Wikipedia needs to get their act together and give him his own page. I would also like to state that I'm slightly bothered by the fact that more and more distros seem to suppress the grub menu upon rebooting, causing an automatic reboot to the default distro. Of course, they would like their distro to be default, but if you multi-boot, I recommend using the BIOS menu to boot into a more permissive distro and running Grub Customizer to make that distro default, or you may be stuck forever booting into the last distro you installed. Dale? Well, I haven't been keeping up with Garuda, which is one of the distros I reviewed, I think it was last fall or at some point, I don't recall. They are expanding their offerings quite a bit. If you haven't looked at their slight in the past six months or so, check it out. You'd be surprised. GhostBSD updated their uh, Mate desktop to version 1.26. They also patched some vulnerabilities of WebKit and Curl that affected the, uh, the BSD editions of that. They also re- resolved some VirtualBox boot issues if you're using it in a VM. Redcore Linux, which is the uh, Gen 2-based distro I reviewed, I believe, is last month, released 2102, codenamed Polaris. The uh, release focuses on polish and fixing bugs, though they did manage to update over 1,300 packages since their previous release, along with a rebuild of their repository. The Zero Linux project announced major changes. 
He released another ISO on October 31st. This was released after the one I mentioned in my review from last episode. Oh, okay, so Redcore was before that. Oh, well. It contains many bug fixes. Going forward, he is slowing the pace of releases, opting to follow other distros with saying of, it will be released when it's done. No schedule, no ETAs. I'm glad he got a handle on it because I really enjoyed the uh, previous ISO compared to the buggy one that he had. So if you were put off by that ISO, now is your chance to give it a try. He also found an interesting utility for KDE Plasma called, I'm going to call it ConSave, C-O-N-S-A-V-E. It will allow you to easily export your configs. I will put the link in the show notes. It will provide more details and a YouTube video explaining how it works. So how about you, Tony? Uh, nothing for me updates-wise, so shall we move on to Beautiful Failures? Beautiful Failures, what we tried and failed to install or run this month. I got Open Mandriva LX 4.2 installed on both drives of my T540P and went about trying to upgrade one of them to rolling LX 4.5. I followed the instructions. I really did. I talked to the guys in the OM forum who are always friendly and helpful, especially lead dev Ben Ballard. I wound up with a drive so messed up I couldn't even reinstall OM 4.2 on it. I tried a few other distros, could not write Grub, but when I tried Farron OS it worked, so that's what I'm reviewing this episode. But this was all a headache or three. Dale? I didn't have any failures this past month. How about you, Tony? Uh, well, yeah, my beautiful failure this month is uh, hardware-related. As I said uh, earlier on, I've been having some problems with my main PC tower. And I have an uh, 11-year-old i7 box that I was keeping as a backup PC, uh, which will not boot from USB. So I dragged it out anyway this week because uh, of those hardware issues. Um, and I thought I might be able to get... Uh, to use it while I was waiting on the new PC, but alas, not. I've got a problem. It's not booting from the DVD ROM either. <laughs> so I burnt a DVD uh, of Mint 20.2, and halfway through the install, it failed. So I started again, and it uh, failed again. And it, this, it gave me an error message that said uh, it failed possibly because of a corrupt uh, ISO image on the DVD or the fact that the DVD player itself needed uh, cleaning. And I don't own, own a disc cleaner. So I'll have another go and I'll burn another disc to see if, uh, on a different device and see if this resolves the issue. But uh, as it requires quite a bit of work to get it set up, I'm not sure when I'll get round to that. So uh, that's me this month. So shall we move on to the uh, first review, Dale's review of Storm OS? As Tony said, my review this month is Storm OS. It is an Arch-based distro originally named Hackman Linux, developed by Matthew Moore. He left the project and it was continued on by Ben Fitzpatrick, with contributions by Silent Robot, Seeker, Razor1981, and TJ Wolf. They offer a KDE Plasma Edition, which currently is 
where last time I checked was 5.23.5, subject to change. And an XFCE 4.16, which is the uh, current XFCE. The XFCE edition is interesting because it uses Compiz 9.14.1-4 for its window compositing. It allows for desktop animations in a GTK desktop similar that you would see in a QT-based KDE Plasma like Wobbly Windows and the Magic Lamp. There are too many to uh, others to mention. The Storm OS team intends to offer an easy-to-use distro from general use to gaming. There was a new ISO that was released during my review, so I'll add some notes when something has changed from the previous ISO. My hardware. The laptop I used is my Lenovo ThinkPad T460. It has an Intel Dual-Core i5-6200U 2.8 GHz CPU, 14-inch LCD display using HD Graphics 520. It has 16 gigs of RAM and a 500 GB SSD. Installation ease and issues. I chose the XFCE edition for this review. The installation uses Calamares and is themed with the Storm OS logo. The typical request to connect to the internet was requested, so I connected to my Wi-Fi. I set the location in the keyboard language. Partitioning was the usual, install alongside, replace a partition, erase disk, and manual. I chose erase disk. In the user section, I created my user account. There was an option to require strong passwords if checked. The others were automatic login and use the same password as the administrator account. Just like in Zero Linux, StormOS allows installation of packages during the install. This list is much shorter and offers simpler choices in comparison, in my opinion. I saw that I could install Wine Staging, Steam, and the date of runtime for Steam. Team Viewer and Telegram along with other apps like VLC and MPV. After making my selections, I was shown a summary of choices and clicked install. Once complete, I clicked finish and rebooted the laptop. I did another install since the ISO was released a while I was doing this review. The install of the new ISO is fairly similar. You have the options of installing the Linux Zen kernel, Linux LTS, and an NVIDIA LTS. There is an NVIDIA driver category that includes the DKMS driver, NVIDIA Utils, Optimus Manager, and the QT version of that. Post-install hardware facts and issues. Upon reboot, I saw a simple grub menu with blue highlights. The countdown timer was set to 30 seconds, which is fine, but I prefer 10 or 15 seconds. One of my favorite features is that the installation retains the Wi-Fi configuration after installation. I didn't notice any issues on the first sign-on. I will note the new ISO has a new grub theme for uh, the uh, boot-up, and it's the Storm OS logo to the right, and in your uh, boot options, your list is to the left. And the boot uh, countdown timer is also now set to 10 seconds. Ease of use. I will say that I'm happy to be in an XFCE distro using Compiz. It brought back memory memories of using it in the past. The desktop was an Adweta blue sky dark theme, but the wallpaper was not set. After some searching, I found the wallpaper images in slash USR slash share slash background slash storm OS. 
This is the general place distros will place their wallpaper files. I selected one and posted the screenshot to the distro hoppers telegram group. I must say they do look very nice. They follow a science fiction theme along with some nice stormy cloud images. I was quite happy with them. Wobbly Windows was enabled by default. I opened the Compiz Configuration Manager to enable the magic lamp. It does a minimize, maximize, where it looks like it's like a genie coming in and out of a out of a lamp. But it's actually no lamp, but it's actually the uh, your uh, bottom of the screen there, your taskbar. And I noticed that it wasn't enabled, so I thought you cannot have wobbly windows without the magic lamp. I just think it's kind of a nice combination, but somewhat in jest, but somewhat serious opinion. It appears that Ben Fitzpatrick liked my suggestion of using the magic lamp animation. It is now on by default. Thanks, Ben. The setting manager for Compiz is in the tray. It is a very handy utility. You can select your window decorator for a theming. The default is Emerald, but you can change it to GTK. Additionally, you can select the window manager with the default being Compiz. Your other choices are XFWM, which is the default for XFCE. Metacity, which was the one that was used in GNOME 2, which is actually still being supported. There is also a link to open the Emerald Theme Manager. The one thing I note about Metacity is it doesn't need GNOME to be able to work, so it's kind of a standalone. I noticed that when I installed Element, it's a matrix chat client, that the GNOME keyring was prompting me for the user password before letting Element fully uh, load up. It was no bother to me once I entered the password and Element opened and functioned normally. And uh, if you exit out and come back in, the key ring is already loaded, so you don't have to do it again. I did contact Ben Fitzpatrick about this, and he is aware of it. This may be removed in a future release. Dale? Yes. I, I have that same problem with Element. There are some distros that bring that up, and it's gotten to where almost all my distros are bringing that up now. I don't know where the key ring is coming from. In some cases, I'm not even using a GNOME. Yeah, it's... I had a uh, discussion in, in uh, with Ben, and it's sort of like a 50 It's Like, there's some people that really like it, and there's some people that really dislike it. And it's one of those GNOME features like, like Metacity where it's not dependent on GNOME, so it can be used anywhere. But uh, mm -hmm. one thing I noticed in the new ISO that they released uh, a couple weeks ago is they're, they are still using it. So I guess there's still some debate in their uh, development team if they're going to remove it or not. Josh Hawk says that never happens to him, but it happens to me in almost everything. I have one install of Bodhi that it doesn't work in, and amazingly, it doesn't. I, I don't get that password feature in uh, Farron. Hmm. Yeah, well, I haven't really noticed it that much either, but it's just one more time you have to type in a password. I mean, I leave my chat apps signed in, but yeah. It's an interesting feature of the uh, distros. Another nice enabled feature is the hot corner in the upper left uh, part of the screen to switch workspaces. I use a similar hot corner in Pop! OS in my lower left to show my activities. In case you are not familiar with hot corners, when you move your mouse to a corner of the screen, a predefined action happens. If you haven't used them before, it may take some adjustment. Package management is done via PAMAC. It provides a command line and a GUI utility. The PAMAC GUI 
allows you to enable third-party repos like the AUR, which is the Arch user repository where people can uh, supply their own compiled uh, or build scripts to compile their own uh, applications. Flatpak and Snap. You can also configure automatic checking of updates and their frequency. Additionally, you can enable automatic downloading of updates, how many it can do. It's uh, referred to as parallel downloads. The Yay AUR helper is also available. It helps you install packages from the AUR. It's a command line utility. Given the Arch base of StormOS, you enjoy the latest or most recent versions of many applications and kernel versions. They are using Arch kernel, which is what the Arch team develop, uh, compiles, rather, which is 5.14.15, and that was as of, I think, yesterday when I updated the laptop. But it will be updated quite often just because it is the rolling and not the LTS. The terminal is using 5.1.8, and they are using ext4 as the file system. This is a very responsive desktop experience. I think the animations are fun and don't get in the way of using the desktop. I like the super key is set to the application menu. It fits my personal workflow. Some of the default applications are, and again, these are subject to change with these rolling uh, distros. Electron, Lutris, Steam Native, Steam Runtime, Flameshot, Firefox, Signal, TeamViewer, Zoom, MPV, VLC, and they don't use a standard office like Libre or the others. They uh, use instead AbbeyWord or AbbeyWord. I've heard it pronounced both ways. Yeah, AbbeyWord is part of the GNOME office. So they might also have Gnumeric in there as their spreadsheet. Yes, it is. I forgot to put that in there. But yes, um, I've noticed with GNOME, there's always two ways of pronouncing things. <laughs> so let's see the memory and disk use. The memory usage reported by the free command was 587 megabytes and 12 gigabytes used on the SSD. I didn't try this on the new ISO, but I wouldn't see it changing much. Maybe within that ballpark. Ease of finding help. There is an email list listed on their website along with the chat option located in their bottom right. They're very responsive for a volunteer. You know, you have to keep that in mind too. We all have day jobs in some cases. Plays nice with others. I installed Debian 7 and tried installing StormOS alongside, but StormOS is the only OS that will boot. As Moss mentioned, StormOS seems to make it a default OS. And I did verify that I could go into the F12 on my uh, Lenovo ThinkPad and select Debian from the list and it'll boot. But when I shut down the laptop, boot it back up and don't touch anything, StormOS starts back up. Dale? Yes. What what you do there is you go back into Debian and you do uh, grub install and then you do grub customizer and set Debian as the default and then you'll be able to boot both. Uh, except sometimes Arch doesn't like to boot from a uh, grub menu. I don't know why. Yeah, I was going to mention that, but I forgot to put all that in there. Um, I'm not really that, I don't want to say familiar. I, I don't take it, um, how do I explain this? I don't really use Grub Customizer that much, but uh, I see what, see what you're saying. I just look at it from a default user you know, perspective. They're 
do-booting their first OS and it's not working. <laughs> and then you have to go out and search the forums or ask for help, etc. So stability. I've had no crashes, no failed updates. Like I do of all my Arch-based reviews, I wait a week or two between updates. During the four weeks I used StormOS, all of the updates were installed without a problem. The past update I did was after two weeks. This is pretty good for an Arch-based distro, in my opinion. Similar distros to check out. Endeavor OS and Garuda. So my ratings. Ease of installation for a new user is 8 out of 10. The experience is going to be 10 out of 10. Hardware issues at 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help, community and web is 10 out of 10. Ease of use, 10 out of 10. Plays nice with others. I originally put zero in there just because it annoys me about this default OS feature, but I'll be nice and say, I'll just go in the middle of the road five because you do have to know to search out this information. And stability is 10. Overall rating, I'd say it's still going to be in the 8 to 9 range. Final comments. This has been one of the best Arch-based distro experiences I've had. If you're wanting an easy-to-install, out-of-the-box Arch distribution that requires no tweaking other than choosing your own wallpaper, that has all the gaming support installed, then StormOS should be at the top of your list. I chatted with Joshua Hawk from the Crobo Kernel Panic podcast. It is focused on Linux gaming. He is intending on trying out StormOS for performance, you know, gaming performance. So look them up and subscribe for more. Since I'm not a gamer, I wanted StormOS to get a proper gaming review. Bo and Josh are the best ones to do it. So let's move on to Moss's review of Farron OS. Okay, we're reviewing Farron OS 2021.10. I've used this distro many times before. It almost feels like Mint with Plasma, although earlier editions used a themed cinnamon, and usually feels like a friendly spot to be in. I was a bit worried when I saw that this is a transitional version, with Farron OS 2022 being the next step complete with an all-new program manager, as one transitional version I've reviewed on this show turned out to have some major issues, later resolved in the following major version. I had no real issues. My hardware, I'm running it on my new T540P with an i7-4710MQ processor at 3.5GHz with both Intel and NVIDIA graphics, 16 gigs of RAM, and a 256 gig Samsung SSD and a 512 gig Silicon Power SSD. Installation ease and issues. Not only did everything install properly, it did so despite all my earlier failures with other distros earlier in the month, so I was very happy. All your usual software is available through App, the Software Store, or Synaptic. If you like Vivaldi, it comes as the default browser, but there is also a tool for choosing and installing any browser you like. I wish they had the same tool for Office packages like Manjaro does, and should probably mention it to Dominic. Post-installation hardware facts and issues, I got everything installed, removed LibreOffice and set Vivaldi aside, installed Firefox and my other things. The layout is pretty close to everything I want, so I didn't change themes or anything. Even the wallpaper is much nicer than it has been in the past, so I didn't change it. 
The kernel is 5.11.0-38, Firefox is at 93.0. I bet if I upgraded it today, it'd be 94. Ease of use, as already stated, it just feels like Mint with Plasma. While Plasma is not my favorite desktop, it is definitely one worth keeping an eye on. Everything I wanted to get done, it just got done, just as if I'd been using the distro for years. I know I've been trying Farron on and off for years, but I don't even feel this comfortable in Bodhi, and I don't feel any more comfortable in Mint. The only negatives I can find are that I could not find a way to set the system clock to the 24-hour setting, and boot times both up and down are much longer than any other distro I'm currently using. Also, the icon to shut down or reboot is so tiny you could easily miss it, a fact I've mentioned in my previous reviews. Also, I did note that it does not save your Wi-Fi password after you install it. You have to go and put in your Wi-Fi password after you reboot from installation. Memory and disk use. Memory usage was 759 megabytes, higher than some other Plasma distros, but much lower than it has been previously in Farron. Disk space used is 13.6 gigabytes. I see no reason this could not be used on any 64-bit machine. Ease of finding help. The lead dev has a Discord channel as well as his Weebly forum, and he's hanging around most of the uh, Destination Linux forums. Lots of help is available. Also, this is Plasma on Ubuntu Core, so it should be very easy to find help. Plays nice with others. Definitely. Stability. I had some worries, but they seem for not. I thought about waiting until the next version since this is stated to be a transitional version, but I have not experienced any issues. If I keep it installed, Farron will upgrade to the next version automatically. Similar distros to check out. Kubuntu, MX Linux Plasma, KDE Neon, Zorin. Ratings. Ease of installation. New user 9 out of 10. Experience user 10 out of 10. Hardware issues 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help, 9 out of 10. Ease of use, 10 out of 10. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability, 10 out of 10. And my overall rating is 9.5 out of 10. Final comments. There have been times when I thought Farron OS might be that perfect distro for just about everybody. If you like working with Plasma, it just might be now. If I say any more about it, I would sound just like a fanboy. Thank you, Dominic, for such a nice distro. Let's move on to new releases. New releases since last episode. From September 29th to November 2nd, Linus Kodachi 8.12, Nitrux 2021.09.30, GhostBSD 21.09.29, FinStation 6.2.12, System Rescue 8.05, Arch Linux 2021.10.01, IP Fire 2.27 Core 160, Farron OS 2021.10, Redo Rescue 4.0.0, KOS 2021.10, OpenBSD 7.0, Devuan GNU Plus Linux 4.0.0, Ubuntu All Official Flavors 2110, Ubuntu Unity Remix 21.10, Ubuntu Ed Remix 21.10, Ubuntu Web 21.10, GhostBSD 21.10.16, Porteous Kiosk 5.3.0, Regatta 21.0.15, Redcore 2102, Rosa 12, 
Volumio 2.916, MX21, Nutix 21.10.0, Absolute 2021-1024, EasyOS 3.1, Triskwell 9.0.1, KDE Neon 2021-1028, eLive 3.8.24, Nitrux 2021.10.29, Xtix 21.11, Anti-X 21, Fugita 7.0. I want to apologize. Thanks to the bad font we were using, I've been calling that Fugulta for the last few episodes. Uh, Fedora 35, Voyager 21.10. Uh, I seem to be repeating Arch Linux. Yep, we got a new one. Arch Linux 2021.11.01. And Libre Elect 10.0.1. Announcements. Our next episode will probably be recorded around December 8th, mostly depending on Dale's schedule. For chatting with us further, you may wish to join our 23 users in Telegram, our 51 members on MeWe, or the 11 users in our growing channel in Discord. Where can our listeners find you, Dale? I am at Dale underscore CDL on Telegram, Matrix, and Discord number 9433. And if you want to use email, I'm dale underscore cdl at pm dot me. Tony, what about you? Yeah, you can uh, hear me nearly every week on Minkcast, and you can contact me at uh, digest at gmail dot com. I'm uh, Hacker Public Radio host ID three three eight. If you want to go and listen to some of my old shows on there. You can get me at Twitter, TonyH1212. And if you want to email me at Mintcast, I'm th at mintcast.org. And you can hear me every week on Full Circle Weekly News. Email me at bardmoss at pm.me. My Telegram, Discord, Twitter, and Mastodon contact info is in the show notes. And you can find me, Dale and Dylan, at itsmoss.com. Before we go... We would like to thank all those who have made this project possible, starting with the Mintcast crew for allowing us to use their Mumble server and Discord group. Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program. Audacity, which we use to record and edit the show. Joshua Lowe for work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting, and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Mid-Air Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stolman for the GNU toolkit, and all those who have worked hard behind the scenes on free and open source Libre software. We shall be back next month. Thank all of you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>